Okay, so we're going to continue on here talking about what we are learning using social to actually drive business and grow our business. One of the things that we are finding major engagement with is going to sound very simple, and I don't know why we didn't think about this earlier, and I know that a lot of people don't necessarily do this, but reach out to people that have looked at your profile. So in LinkedIn, you can see who has searched your name or who has looked at your particular profile. They might not have reached out to you. They may have not have interacted with you, connected with you, followed you, but that doesn't matter. You said something or your profile attracted them enough to come over and take a look at it. Go ahead and use that as a way to be able to open up that conversation conversation and reach out and start to build that relationship. For instance, we're looking for accredited business owners who want to grow their net worth by investing into real estate. So very, very specific. And we've been able to attract and build those types of relationships with those exact people simply by looking to see who has already taken the time to check our profile out. If you're an accredited business owner who is looking to grow their net worth by investing in real estate, go ahead and check us out at investinsquarefeet.com and join up for our investment club where each week we review a property that we are currently looking at to invest in our own real estate portfolio. All right, so if you've ever heard the book Profit First, we're gonna be talking all about Profit First today. Uh, it's a great framework to be able to make sure that you are driving profits for your business, no matter how big or how small your company might be. We are fiduciaries, so I don't have any products to sell people. We just sell them what we just do for them, what we think is best and refer out everything else. Uh, that company has been designed to especially serve women. That said, 40% of our clients are men because turns out lots of women like to be married to men. But the point is, I found that my industry really was built to serve men. And that's fine. It's not a problem. And a lot of women felt really estranged from the messaging and services that they were getting. So we're like a compassionate, empathetic, feminine place to get really evidence-based investment methodologies from. Also, I have discovered that to my great sadness, most financial, most entrepreneurs, frankly, are broke. I mean, my, that's the way Mike Michalowicz says it. Mike Michalowicz wrote Profit First, and his slogan is ending entrepreneurial poverty. So something like 80% of business owners, even those who earn over a million dollars in top line revenue, pay themselves less than $50,000 a year. And it's like heartbreaking to me. So there's a way in which I can kind of sniff out profits. And through some of my uh, personal experiences in my own financial life, also can work with entrepreneurs to develop what you might call empowered money mindsets, empowered thinking about money, which a lot of people are missing. Um, so we, we offer that suite of services in a consultative package. We're Profit First certified professionals. We call that the Money Blueprint Program. Talk a little bit about the whole money mindset. What a lot of people struggle with, how do they, where do they miss the mark when it comes to you know, having the right mindset around money? Yeah. Um, it's not a short answer, but I'm going to try to give you the salient points. It turns out money 
we all relate to money like it's a thing, like there's a way money is, right? You hear phrases like money doesn't grow on trees, you have to work hard for money. Uh, and these are examples of phrases that inform our thinking about money. And those become, in a way, like you might say, oh, that person is shy or uh, he's mean, right? We, we describe a particular thing a particular way, and then it becomes that way. It embodies those traits. And the truth is, money is something human beings made up right? It doesn't have any true nature. It isn't good or bad. It isn't evil. It isn't hard to get. It isn't easy to get. It is whatever you believe it is. But the reason we're so messed up about money is because we learn about conceptual things from the adults around us. So time is very conceptual, very hard for a child to grasp the concept of time. Do you have children? May I ask? I, I don't have uh, children of my own, but I do have a girlfriend who has two kids, so I've okay. helped raise them as well. I don't know if you happen to have been around at their first the first time the time was mentioned. It's three thirty. We'll do that later tomorrow yeah, morning, yeah. next week. And I watched my. I have a seven year old. Around the time she was four or five, she's going. What is this time thing you are talking about? I do not get it, right? It's very conceptual. Money is the same way, right? And so, for example, with time, I can say two things about time. So first, I can say time flies when you're having fun, right? And that gives you a particular visceral experience versus uh, uh, time goes slowly when you're bored, or I never have enough time. That's a good one. I'm completely out of time. It's a very different visceral experience. Money is exactly the same way. And we're all misinformed about money because we learned about money from our parents who learned about money from their parents. And just to give you a sense, back in 1935, when Social Security was first passed, the Social Security claiming age was 65 years old and the average lifespan was only 63 right? Uh, so yeah. we are now having to plan for a retirement. If you retire at 60, it might be 30 or 40 years, right? So you work for 40 years to then support 40 years. We are the first generation tasked with that massive obligation. Nobody had to do it before. There were pensions. If you really lived long, there was social security, but of course, most people didn't. And medical science is a miracle. Longevity is a miracle. But from a financial perspective, it's like a problem. So when you were a kid, you heard someone around you say something about money. You probably got it from your parents because these are the messages that are reinforced over time. Repetition matters. And you either adopted that mindset about money or you rejected it. So for some people, they're very, and you met people like this, I'm sure you have, they're very committed to being exactly the opposite of how their parents were. My parents were tight with money. I'm going to be loose. My parents were misers. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you only live once, right? That's a very common one. Or if you, a lot of people who grow up broke, their parents have broken mindsets about money. They just learn that it's all that's around them. And it never occurs to anyone that these characteristics I have imbued on money may not be true. <laughs> and so we do start with people there. I find that a lot of so-called experts talk about money mindset. And I think in a little bit of an irresponsible way, honestly, I'm not sure they really understand it when I hear them just throw the term out. For example, oh, just have thoughts of abundance. It's like, what? 
What is, mm-hmm. That's impossible, right? I can't just tell myself to think differently and have that manifest there in the moment, but it can happen over time. And so we've really learned ways to impact that with people. It takes both, rea- it takes impacting reality and what you say about money, but the, the, the fundamental way to evolve a biological organism is three things, time, recurrence, and intention or environment, right? So it takes time. It takes time, but you know, you can think of ways in your aspects of your life that you think about differently now. So for example, I was very religious when I was an early teen. I'm not currently that way. There was a time in life I practiced Buddhism. I don't anymore, right? There are things I think differently about, and that happened over time. And so while uh, many people think they're stuck with their broken mindsets, money mindsets, in fact, they're not. Does that make sense? (laughs) It it does. It does. From a, we'll say a a mindset that we want to change and move into this new way of thinking, what type of timeline does that typically take to be able to, again, impact your life and start moving in a better frame of thought? Well, it's certainly individualized. Uh, The consulting that we do with folks, we ask them to stay for a year with us so that we can create that environment and recurrence of messaging. Uh, one of the things that it is important for people to do is, first of all, I really invite people to, and I know you asked how long and I'm getting into how to, but uh, create a catalog of the things that are debilitating about money that you think, and maybe it's not debilitating, maybe it's just disempowered or whatever it is. Most people aren't even aware that they talk about money, right? Because money for many people is taboo. Uh, I'm speaking in generalities, but men mostly talk about their winners. Women mostly talk about how to save money on clothes, right? And so there's these little ways in which we interact about money. But for the most part, you talk to yourself about money and you talk to your your romantic partner about money. If you have a business partner, maybe, but like how much of this pie should be mine? What's going to be the profitability on that? It's not like, wow, I'm really, I'm uninspired by the nest egg I've built in my life. People don't say that to each other. So really... Be willing to catalog, kind of journal what you, what are your current scripts about money. And then the real key to it is to start to alter that reality. So we set up mechanistic account transfers and financial automation for entrepreneurs. I also do it with my non-business owner clients, but if you can automatically have money show up in the places you need it to be, then if you have a mindset, there's never enough money, you have to work hard for money, uh, money doesn't grow on trees, these kind of things, you prove yourself wrong almost through this automation, right? So you think there's no money and money shows up and you have to grapple with that. And it's really those cognitive dissonances (laughs) and letting them stay in place because the brain doesn't like cognitive dissonance. Can't hold two two thoughts at one time. So if you look at reality versus my thought, it's like, wow, reality doesn't match my thoughts. I wonder where the heck else I'm wrong about money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's really the beginning of it. So we engineer those cognitive dissonances with people. Yeah. Interesting. So, and that's 
basically directly taken from profit first too, right? Where you you have your various different accounts and you're taking like a percentage from this and putting it over to here and you've got your spending money, you've got your savings money and exactly. it's just constantly building sort of on its own in the different accounts, correct? We do that for people in their personal accounts as well. So profit first covers the business accounts and then we also set it up in personal accounts. As you mentioned, most business owners, many business owners have inconsistent cash flow. So you have inconsistent business revenues, but you have consistent personal bills, mm-hmm. right? Your mortgage mm-hmm. has to get paid every month, no matter what. Uh, so we get we set that all up. So it's done by automation behind the scenes, which, of course, frees you up to be more creative in your profitable thinking and also reverse engineers your financial success. That makes sense. And and then obviously you have your vehicle, whatever that vehicle is that you've chosen to create your wealth and all of that has to be performing as well to be able to generate the capital uh, to be able to pull out of this, right? So That's the magic, um, I, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm just curious, do you get involved in helping people create a better vehicle essentially so that this is performing better to be able to support all of this back end? Um, work. And and if you do, I'm curious, what are some of the common things? Again, maybe it's a mindset or something that a lot of people struggle with, that that's the reason why this vehicle is not performing the way that it should. Let me give you a couple of examples of clients we've worked with. So one is a type of profession we've all heard of, real estate agent. Uh, There's a woman we worked with who, when we met her, she's a real estate agent in the San Francisco Bay Area. So Prices are high here. Commissions are high. When I met her, she was earning about $400,000 a year, spending about $450,000, okay? She had not spoken to the IRS in years. They were after her like dogs with a bone. Uh, She had more money going out every month than was coming in, right? And her sort of cage about money was she was very much emotionally still in a divorce that happened 12 or 13 years prior. Uh, He had left her really high and dry. She very much was like, A, making up for the wrongs of the past with her kids because he never contributed financially. So she was like, I must pay for everything. Meanwhile, all three of them are at college, in college at the same time. So you can imagine the cash flows from that. Uh, And then the second thing was she had just really built an identity around being someone who had bootstrapped everything about her life. And and she had spent years living on people's couches. Right. And so there was a whole narrative about that. And so we just helped her break free from that narrative. I mean, and now she this last year, she earned a million dollars, right? She also bought a home in Redwood City, which is one of the highest places, cost places to live in the world. So that's a big triumph that took, I think, three or four years total. But she's like on her way to having a, you could say a fully funded retirement. So that's, that was a non-linear result. Another example, uh, I worked with someone who, whose husband was the primary breadwinner. She was running a women's fitness business. I said to her, I need you to understand you're currently paying yourself minimum wage. Like all this work that you're doing, your personal compensation is minimum wage. She said, oh, no, it's okay. I don't want to earn more. I don't want to earn more. I don't want to earn more. And I said, really? And she said, well, there's this one idea I have. Fast forward to this year, she's got a million followers on Instagram. 
she's got three or four bags that she's making independently distributed and her company will top line revenue somewhere between 3.4 and 3.7 this year yeah. right and that's just a few years so it's really just so so the 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 fix to what you're asking about is different for everyone and then the final example i'll give <clears throat> excuse me, I find that a lot of people just really aren't strategic about their profits. So there's a lot to manage when you're a business owner. And if you're going to do it right, you have to say no to a lot of things. And a lot of people just really get into a rhythm of running their day by perhaps their meeting schedule or their email inbox, right? And a, and a, a strategic business owner who takes seriously their role as VP of sales. And if you don't have a VP of sales in your company, you are the VP of sales. If you really give yourself that moniker and rise to the occasion, it, there are, it's important. So you take on like the idea of marketing analytics, also sales and profitability analytics. So I, on Mondays and Tuesdays, my calendar is filled with the things that make us profit. I don't do anything else. Right. And so, but it really is teaching people how to actually manage that because it's, it takes art and science. <laughs> so I talked a lot. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> no. I, and I'm just curious. So before we got uh, started too, we were talking about the profit pyramid as well, which you had. We've you talked had about two legs of the profit pyramid. We've actually yeah. talked about all three. <laughs> yes. Well, so, yeah. so I'm just, I, I know that you just briefly glanced over the calendar and the scheduling side of things and the, the time blocking side of things. Yeah. What type of results have you seen in your own life or maybe in your clients' lives after they've started to schedule themselves more and not be so responsive to the constant interruptions or what have you, if they're a little bit more, I'm going to turn off my phone and I'm going to concentrate on this. Like you said, you concentrate on all the things Monday and Tuesday that create the profits. Yeah. You, what type of results have you seen with people just making that shift and focusing a little bit more and not being so reactive to so many different things? Well, so in 2016, I had my first and only child and I set my business up for my maternity leave using these methodologies. And when I came back from maternity leave, my net income was up. So instead of the business going sideways or declining, it actually grew while I was out using the idea of managing to profitability. Since then, I've had many other clients. Planning for profitable maternity leaves, I think, should actually be on my website because it's one of the things we do best. Yeah. Uh, so the idea is really to, uh, I mean, the, the results are, I have probably guided, we'll say, 22 women through a profitable maternity leave that had no idea like that because the foregone conclusion is I'm going to go on maternity leave. It's going to be stressful. My team's going to call me anyway. I'm going to lose money and it's going to, and I, I basically I have to prepare to be broke when I get back. Right. And just, uh, just taking on that strongly held belief is like, is, uh, is like a, the act of a warrior in some cases, because it's so strongly held, but you could apply that thinking to anything, any aspect of life, reverse engineering a four week sabbatical, right? Or if, of course, a lot of companies now want to take Fridays off. Well, what if you work four days a week, but you plan 
to have that be the reason you make more money. Mm -hmm. So these are the kinds of things that we take on with people. And I think showing people the mechanism to actually manage their calendar to produce a certain result is huge for people because no one's talking about that. I mean, I think some people get born with it. Certainly some entrepreneurs just hit it out of the park from the beginning. Not everyone is part of Mike McCallowick's entrepreneurial poverty community, right? But a lot of people are. And so uh, the lessons of that can really be applied to kind of all of the phases of business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that calendar look like? I mean, is it just essentially a time blocking exercise where again, Mondays between 11 and five, I'm going to do this. And at the, the another couple hours, I'm going to do this. Is it simply breaking down just and setting aside those chunks of time to concentrate on specific no. things or is there more to it? There's more uh, analytics to it. So first of all, each business owner needs to know or be taught how to interact with their company numbers. So the numbers and ratios that matter for you are customized to your business. I mean, other people who run competitive businesses probably have the same numbers and ratios mm-hmm. that they want to pay attention to. But most business owners, they get their P&L in the middle of the month for last month from their bookkeeper, and they get a little ticked off at their bookkeeper because they think she obviously knows something about my business. I don't know. And she's not telling me, which isn't true uh, very often. And so we show people how to create what we call a profit generating activities deck. It's It can be a report. Mine at this point is a Google slide deck and it shows revenue vi- minus costs. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't look at my P&L, right? But it yeah. shows how effective our various marketing tactics are. It shows uh, where I get most of my clients from. It shows which are my most effective events, right? And that's just customized to my business, right? But so we customize that report. And so then we get a sense of where you you need to have a report as the owner of a business that shows you where to go to work next month for the next six months, that's going to make you the most money. So it start, that's a linchpin of the system. Uh, then there is the weekly routines. And again, that's customized to you. Uh, I don't make outbound sales calls. I don't make cold calls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a bit of work in, in uh, Instagram, private messenger, on email. I make some phone calls to colleagues, right? Like that. So I have those calendared. But again, that's going to be customized to you. And then you have to follow up on those things. So I have a routines for me. I have a list of routines that I go through. I call it my weekly review. And that that weekly review is blocked in my calendar. And then in that block in the actual calendar is a link to an Evernote document that has a list of the things that I do every Thursday. And I also have semi-annual routines So we so we have what we call company traditions. And so those are on the calendar in sort of anchored in the calendar as well. But again, it's going to be customized to you. But that profit generating activities report, which is it's a kitschy name. Mm -hmm. I used to call it KPIs, but I found that KPI is a very subject. It's just a too commonly used term. Everyone has their own definition. And so I just took it back and I said, okay, we're just going to call this profit generating. We call it PGAs, but doesn't have anything to do with golf. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's great. When so when you're talking about this uh, dashboard or this your company PGAs, is that something that you're constantly you're looking at your 
your profit and loss statement and pulling out this number and putting it in here so that you can see that week over week, month over month? Or is that something that somebody else is populating for you? Or how are you collecting that information? Yeah, what's you ask working, about the details. This is good. Uh, <laughs> it, it, so I do not do it at this time. I started doing it and it was ugly when I started. I really mm -hmm. just didn't. I was groping around in the dark. Uh, I've learned a lot about what that report should look like for me. And of course that teaches me what it should look like or where we need to start looking for other people. At this point, we have a standard operating procedure. My team puts it together. It's actually quite beautiful. I do have a client who does hers far more beautiful than mine. I mean, we're financial people at the end of the day. Uh, so I don't think artistry is my skill set, but, but that happens on a monthly basis. I get an email around the 12th of the month. It says, the PGA deck is ready. And then I go look and then I make my, um, uh, we also have in our weekly team meeting, we have a list of, we make promises for the month. So my team makes, mm. you throw your hat over the fence and say, this is what I'm going to accomplish every month. So obviously my PGA deck informs my promises, which then informs my routines. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I'm curious how you go about establishing those promises too, because another one of the, the challenges that I see a lot of people falling into is they, everyone has some type of goal setting mechanism or some type of thing that they're trying to achieve, whether that be a two-year goal, three-year goal, 10-year goal, year goal. I've seen them set them too, we'll say too aggressively and they're not achievable, which then it's like a cycle downward from there because you realize like how far off you are from your metrics, from your numbers, which then you're mm -hmm. at a certain point where you're like, I, we're never going to hit those numbers. So I'm not even going to bother paying attention to them. So then the whole thing, like it's derailed, right? So I'm curious how yeah. you go about setting those achievable goals on a, on a regular basis so that you, know, you don't feel, obviously they want to be stretched enough so that you have to stretch to be able to meet them, but not so far of a stretch that like, again, you're going to run down that path where you could ultimately end up failing time and time again. And then the whole thing just gets scrapped. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And it's something I've thought a lot about. I actually think this is good fodder for like a dinner table conversation. And I do have a corporate MBA. So they taught us how to predict revenues or growth, right? But this isn't a company that has a lot of momentum right? And there's a lot of history about how they produce those numbers and how they predict those numbers. And of course, Wall Street requires publicly traded companies to make predictions, right? And then hit them. You better hit them. Yeah. Uh, it's just different with small business owners. And yeah. I don't know. I'm not an expert at doing what you've just pointed out. Most people don't do well because I don't know how it's really possible. Instead, what I show my clients how to do is get committed to taking a certain number of profitable actions. So there are things in my business we know produce profit. Clearly being on podcast interviews might be one of them, mm -hmm. right? So I commit to a certain number of guest interview spots in a week, in a month, or a certain number of keynote spe speeches or talks in a six month period. And it's looking at what are those profit generating activities in your business uh, that matter the most and tracking their efficacy over time. So that's really the space I'm comfortable in. I think you ask a great question. Uh, I have found predicting the near term future to be almost useless. I, <laughs> so I'm the same I agree with you. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so like these people go and they say, well, here's my three-year goal, my five-year goal, my 10-year goal. I'm like, how could you, how can you even possibly it's think about that? Conceptual. Because there's so many things. Yeah. There's so many things that are going to change. That's going to completely skew, you know, where you are six months from now. Right. So, so I just was curious your perspective on being able to establish that. Yeah, I well, I think that gets back to, there's like these long told executive strategy recommendations. So you always want to set the vision for your company as the CEO. And I'm down with all that. And everyone needs inspired leadership and you should provide it. Like people should be clear. What kind of business are we running? Where are we going? But yeah, the very specific three, five and 10 year goals. I'm, I think I don't, yeah, that's not going to happen down with for it. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we're going to grow. I don't know. We're going to make more profit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to take more time up. off. <laughs> yeah, go. All right. If you wanted to reach out and learn more about Hillary or anything that we talked about here today, you can go ahead and do that on HendershotWealth.com. And that Hendershot has two T's. So it's H-E-N-D-E-R-S-H-O-T-T. And she also has her own podcast, which is Love Your Money. So go ahead and check out Love Your Money on whatever podcast platform it is that you use. And remember, if you are an accredited business owner who is looking to grow their net worth by investing into real estate, go ahead and join our investment club at investinsquarefeet.com. And every week we meet and go over opportunities that we are looking to invest in ourselves.